Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Hello and welcome to the MMQB NFL podcast. I'm Jenny Rentis. And I'm Connor Orr. And before we dive into this week's games, we need to talk a little bit about how the schedule was interrupted in week 15 because of the COVID surge in the league, much like many other parts of the nation. I'm in New York City. I see the lines for the COVID testing vans wrapping around the block. So the Omicron variant has hit parts of the country very hard and also the NFL very hard, Connor. The league postponed three games, moving Raiders-Browns to Monday, Washington Eagles and Seahawks-Rams to Tuesday. So we have our first postponements, our first weird COVID week schedule for the 2021 season. Also, the league and the players union negotiated updates to protocols for the rest of the season, adjusting the testing cadence. And the takeaway from that is that vaccinated players and team employees who were previously required to be tested every week will now only be tested when they show symptoms or there will also be targeted testing for position groups. Ultimately, the amount of testing for vaccinated asymptomatic people will be reduced. So kind of a weird 
you know, response, I would say, to the recent outbreak with more than 100 players testing positive, Connor. Yeah, it's like, we want to come up with, we want to find less of this, is basically like, um, is basically the, the the solution. And I saw some interesting, before they canceled, you know, some interesting kind of opinions on some stuff. I read um, Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, so they should just let asymptomatic players play. And I, I was kind of like, why aren't we just backing up here and just pushing the game up two days? Like, why why is the immediate assumption that, like, the problem is the asymptomatic players, you know? And, and I just don't understand why this this wasn't there was such a difficulty to reach this this process and i understand that you know the raiders um seattle there are some teams who are upset about this because they're going to now you know activate a short week and and be inconvenienced in that way but i would assume that any team that is going to have to play a game without their starting quarterback without like uh, a majority of their most important players is going to want this game moved you know i think it's just a fairly common sense maneuver and the only griping we're hearing is from a team that like just didn't happen to have that same thing happen to them like most of these players are following protocol most of them are doing the right thing so they shouldn't have to be punished for it yeah connor i think that's exactly right you wrote a smart column about it it's not the same as for instance the Broncos situation last season where they played without their quarterbacks room in which the quarterbacks had violated protocols this is very different most of the league is vaccinated we're at a situation where there were widespread outbreaks within a team rather than just in one position group. Back to the protocols for a second. One thing that seems potentially troubling is that it's a lot of the testing is now reliant on players self-reporting symptoms. And we've seen in other areas, for instance, self-reporting concussion symptoms, which I will say that that has come a long way and players have become much better at that in part because of the long-term risks and seeing the effects of uh, long-term you know, traumatic brain injury. But you're asking players who might start to have mild symptoms to self-report those, and that's the only way that they'll get tested in many of these scenarios. And especially at a part of the season where games are important for playoff positioning, for playoff seating, for making the playoffs, it seems like this could be a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I mean, the ethics in general. I mean, how many times have, you know, just to even relate it to people's personal lives, like how many times have people struggled with the idea of like, I can't get a test and I have a cough, should I go home and visit my parents? You know, like all the way down to that and you play the ethics of that on a much larger scale at the NFL level, it's like, okay, well, you know, I, you know, I am feeling a little bit like this, but it's your point. Like the Sunday is make or break or else we're not going to the playoffs or I have an incentive that I need to hit in my contract or, you know, any of these other things that could come into play. Um, you know, you're basically just giving players the green light to not tell you that they're symptomatic and, and allow them on the field, which, uh, again, I mean, it goes back to what we said at the top of the show. It's like they're they're kind of blaming, uh, they're they're looking at the wrong thing as the problem, the number of positive tests and not the fact that like, hey, this is still a good thing that we're identifying these cases. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a league that has the resources and the capability to offer regular testing that affects not only the players and the members of their team, but their families. It's a good thing to offer regular testing for communities. So it is surprising that the outcome of this week's outbreaks would be less testing. But that is where things are at in the NFL for the rest of the season. It seems like they've placed a priority on kind of keeping the train moving and playing as many games as possible, as was the priority in 2020. 
We did have a lot of games this weekend, Connor. It was a packed week 15 slate. So why don't we start diving into what we saw on Sunday? Let's get it. Packers Ravens. All right. And so much like a large number of people around the NFL, our regular robot is in COVID-19 <laughs> protocols. So we have our backup <laughs> robot today who we love and are happy to have back this week. Connor, Packers-Ravens was one of the most interesting games this Sunday. It was two division leaders, although the Ravens come out of this game not leading the division, while the Packers come out of the game in first place in the NFC North. Lamar Jackson was out with the ankle injury that he suffered last week, but this was a pretty rousing performance from Tyler Huntley. Ultimately, not enough, though, to defeat an Aaron Rodgers-led Packers team that is looking like one of the very best in the league beyond just the record in terms of how they're playing. Yeah, and so maybe we'll start with the Packers. And I think the the common complaint that you heard from Green Bay fans at the beginning of the year was that everything looked a little more difficult than it should, and it didn't look as beautiful as they thought it might be, especially towards the end of last year. Now it's beautiful. Like, everything is flowing. Every player is wide open. The mixture of A.J. Dillon into this offense now is sort of this, like, power element that um, they they haven't had or haven't enjoyed as much. Like, they're just doing things like, I know that Aaron Rodgers Rodgers' play-action stuff was spotlighted on the broadcast today, but just stuff that doesn't look like anything that we're seeing anywhere in the NFL where you're getting Mercedes Lewis, like, seven yards wide open and untouched and, and rolling downfield. So uh, this is just a team that looks very, very difficult to stop. And to their defense's credit, too, has really picked up the the, the pace there. I mean, Devondre Campbell is among the best free agent pickups I've seen in the last, like, five years. I mean, they got him for next to nothing, and if Micah Parsons wasn't around, would probably be the best linebacker in football this year and they have the return of Jair Alexander to look forward to in a critical stretch of the season and potentially into the playoffs so that could be another boost but ultimately this game came down to John Harbaugh's decision to go for the two-point conversion much like he did a couple weeks ago in Pittsburgh that failed and this failed but do you still like the decision Connor yeah, I, I think the only thing I don't like about it was probably the play call, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, was, it wasn't was identical to, you hate to say that it's identical to the one where they lost the Steelers game. It was a similar route that Mark Andrews was running, right? And you booted the quarterback to the same side. If you look at the dots that Next Gen Stats had, it did look like Mark Marquise Brown was actually open in the back of the end zone if uh, Huntley had kind of looked back and, and kind of seen uh, the play happening that way. But, you know, that was the only thing I didn't like. And if you're a Baltimore fan, I'm kind of almost sick of the refrain that like, oh, he's costing us so many games this way. How do you know? How do we know that's true? If you would have gone for the tie against Pittsburgh, you would have gone to overtime with no cornerbacks and taken a risk in that situation. If you would have gone for the tie against Green Bay, you would have gone into overtime with no cornerbacks again and taken a risk against the best quarterback in football. You could have lost both of those games anyway. And I like, we've talked about this on the show, having the momentum, going into that play, having the defense on their heels for a second. I thought they played it as well as they could have. Yeah, I agree exactly. I mean, you have your backup quarterback and if you go into overtime and the Packers get the ball first, you may very well never have a chance to win the game. So I liked both decisions, even though the outcome was certainly not what the Ravens hoped, and it knocked them out of first place in the AFC North, uh, which is one of the most interesting divisions in terms of who's going to win the division race. But, you know, it was a pretty good performance by Huntley. He scored two touchdowns in the final minutes to 
bring them within the two-point conversion of the win. And that's why I agree with you, Connor. I like everything about it except the play call. It was a little bit of a strange play call. I know you kind of like to get him on the move. Maybe he boots to the right. But then the throw was off target. I couldn't tell if the Green Bay defender tipped it or not. That The angle was very difficult. It seemed like the hand was nearby, but I Mm -hmm. couldn't tell if he actually got a finger on it. Regardless, the throw was a little bit off target. And yeah, you know, they had been so electric on that drive. And I thought that play call didn't seem like the best play call they could have come up with in that circumstance. I'm putting the finishing touches on something I'm writing now that I imagine is going to be massively unpopular, but I would just ask Ravens fans, like, do you realize how bad this could be? Like, not only just this game in particular, right? Like, you're starting, just the idea of starting an undrafted free agent at quarterback, um, and then without half of your offensive line, and Patrick Ricard, which you could say what you will about a fullback, but in this offense means an awful lot to what they're doing. Or, just in general, like... This team lost, you know, part of ways with Joe Flacco just a couple of years ago. How many teams are still adrift from the last time they lost a franchise quarterback like a decade ago and haven't been able to recover from this? The Jets since 1969, Jenny, as you and I know. And, you know, it's just pretty incredible that, like, they're just competitive every week. And I think that we lose sight of that, like how mind-blowing that is that they almost beat the best team in football with an undrafted free agent at quarterback. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's really what's been so impressive and maybe underrated about John Harbaugh's tenure with the Ravens is that he's found ways to win in so many different ways and in so many facets of the game. And the fact that they came close to winning today is a testament to the coaching staff in part getting the players ready and and putting them in a position to win these kinds of games. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Saints, Buccaneers. All right, Connor. So we see the Saints yet again beat the Tom Brady-led Buccaneers in the regular season. They have now swept Brady since he joined the Bucs twice in the regular season. Of course, Brady did beat them in the playoffs last year on the way to a Super Bowl. But it was a shutout win. The Saints' defense was incredible, constantly swarming Brady. They forced him to turn the ball over twice. One interception that sealed the win for the Saints effectively. Uh, another fumble before that. But... The last time Brady has been shut out was 2006 versus the Nick Saban-led Dolphins. So that shows you how long ago it has been. And only shut out, I think, through three quarters, twice in that time. Um, the other two were the New Orleans Saints tonight and the New Orleans Saints last year. Um, mm-hmm. And it's sort of, it's funny, they were talking about Dennis Allen, the Saints defensive coordinator, as a head coaching candidate, which has certainly come up a lot in recent years. But it's like a weird, like, time-limited superpower, right? It's like, I know how to stop Tom Brady. And everyone, like, in 2006, people were like, fantastic, that'll be useful for so long. And now it's like, I can only stop Tom Brady. Everyone's like, well, I don't, you know, maybe we'll need it for another year. I don't know. But still, I mean, phenomenal. And I think that they oddly are able to get pressure against him when other teams aren't. Um, They're able to design these coverages. And we saw, you know, some of, whether it was Gardner Johnson doing the, the, the delay tactic on him. I mean, there were some really, you know, creative and cool things that they were doing. Yeah, they really just seemed to get in his head and bother him, too. He was just flummoxed all night. And you don't see that happen often. Again, Connor, you and I, as the listeners of the show know, cover the 2010 and 2011 Jets. And that Jets defense did have the ability on some occasions to get in Brady's head. So certain schemes, I think, do it well. This was, you know... uh, some incredible plays individually by members of the Saints defense. Cam Jordan forcing that fumble when Brady took off to scramble. I mean, just punching the ball out. Uh, And then, of course, the interception by C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who had not long before kind of taunted Brady. There's a great photo going around. I'm sure everyone has seen it where he has his arms crossed and he's just nodding in Brady's face. And then he picks him off not long after that. And that was the delay coverage that you just described. So uh, both a great scheme and also great individual efforts from players. And, you know, certainly the Bucks' offense was not at full strength. They were without Godwin and Evans, they got hurt in the first half. Uh, Also Fournette, so they were without their weapons, which clearly had some impact, but the Saints also know how to play Brady. And, you know, one of the unfortunate things is that the Buccaneers, uh, despite having said that Antonio Brown was on a one-strike policy, said before the game that they 
plan to bring him back on Monday uh, after his suspension for misrepresenting his vaccination status. And you can certainly uh, ensure that they're not going to have any second uh, last minute change of heart on that, Connor, because as the way things work in the NFL, this is the unfortunate part. If there's a need on a roster for a certain player, then they will overlook whatever it is they have to overlook. Yeah, and you can tell there were moments when, you know, Antonio Brown's going to pick up a first down for them. You could see where he would have been in the lineup. You could see the route that he usually runs, you know, and you say, okay, in that one, he would have turned that into 10 yards. And if you're Bruce Arians, you know, it's just, you know, it's a choice between being true to your word and, you know, being loyal to the one player who seems to be dictating everything there. And so it's a complicated, uh, it's a complicated thing. But um, I think this game definitely showed in a weird way, like if you're the Buccaneers, right, and you need Antonio Brown that badly, what does that say about the orchestra, like the construction of everything, right? You have Tom Brady, you have uh, arguably one of the best offensive lines in the league. You have a functional, uh, above-average Rob Gronkowski. Like, you have more things than other teams have anyway. Why does Antonio Brown then, like, push you to the point where, you know, that's what gets you to, to like, functionality? You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And obviously he's a good player, and more good players are better, but shouldn't you also be pretty good <laughs> without him, you know? Right. Absolutely, Connor. I think that's an important point because they have a lot of other things on their roster and they have Tom Brady and they have a defense that was integral in their championship run last year. So the Bucks miss out on an opportunity to clinch the NFC South against the Saints. Uh, they are still in the driver's seat in that division, but this was a missed opportunity today. And uh, for the Saints, they keep their dim playoff hopes alive, I suppose. <laughs> All right, Connor, we're going to mix things up a little bit. Because there was a Saturday night game, we're going to add it in last minute, not just the Sunday games today. So we're going to quickly touch on Patriots-Colts because this was also a significant game in the context of the playoffs and the context of the best teams in the AFC, which has been a mystery all season. But your Colts, Connor, you predicted this. I keep coming back to this. You might have gotten the food poisoning and the beef chant a little bit off, but they had a slow start to the season and they're really picking up steam. Yeah, I would say that our uh, our beloved co-host, Gary Grambling, who is not with us um, tonight, uh, is sort of globbing on to the Colts' uh, love. Um, but uh, this was all in the cards, uh, in, the, in, the, in the tarot cards, if you will, um, since the beginning of the season. Kind of a surprising loss for the Patriots. I mean, they'd been rolling at this point and just kind of figured they'd be firing on all cylinders. But just a wonderfully sort of... Uh, I mean, offensively, a wonderfully called game by Frank Reich. Their defense kind of gets what they need done, done. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor just continues this this role of just being one of the best and most valuable offensive players in the, in the conference. Yeah, I mean, he really does have a legitimate chance at the MVP award because of the way he has lifted up this team. I mean, Carson Wentz completed five passes and they still beat the Patriots, a team that had won seven straight. So that was pretty remarkable. It was an interesting game because... Mac Jones looked like he kind of had the rookie jitters for three quarters, which we hadn't seen all season. You know, I think there are some people who still have questions about Mac Jones who, who say, can he lead a team back from a big deficit like that? And to his credit, I think he started to make that rally in the fourth quarter. You know, 
quarterback is a difficult position to play and rookies are still on a learning curve. And I think we saw him kind of hit some of that in the first three quarters, but he did rally the team back to where they had a chance to win in the fourth quarter. One of the interesting decisions, and this has been a week in which decision-making by coaches has been dissected more than ever, Connor, starting with Thursday night and caring all weekend, but the Patriots trailing 20 to seven, they're on the goal line and they decide to kick the field goal with nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. So that would, that pulled them within 20 to 10. Now at that point they were trailing by two scores, 13 points. So it was an interesting decision to kick the field goal at that juncture. Yeah. And I wonder if there's something to, I like, I would be fascinated to pick his brain, um, Bill Belichick's brain on some of the hyper conservative play calls that he's made, uh, especially with Mac Jones this year. Like this could go all the way back. You go all the way back to the Buccaneers game. And instead of trying to let Mac Jones pick up like two yards on a night where he was like an 80% completion percentage to get Nick Folk a little bit closer um, to maybe hit that game tying kick. Um, you just attempted like, I think the longest or we've been tied for the longest kick in Nick Folk's career. Um, and I know that that he does have a lot of faith in Nick Folk. I mean, Folk is on an incredible run in New England and Bill is a special teams aficionado. So maybe that's plays into it, but it is interesting how like, like John Harbaugh, you bring it back to the beginning of the show where he's known for um, going forward on fourth down. I would, I would guess that Bill has equally innovative reasons to go for it, to not go for it, you know, but it would be, you know, he, this is one of these things where he's never going to, you know, relay his process. He's not going to say, Oh yeah, there's analytics guys up there telling me what to do or I have a chart up here and you know that's never going to happen but it is kind of curious to to see why I don't know if that's a Mac Jones thing or if that is a because I think you and I both know like there's been a lot of decisions that he's made behind the scenes to kind of allow for Mac Jones's comfort in general is this part of his process with keeping Mac Jones on this sort of steady ascending path yeah I think it's a really interesting question and not putting too much on his plate but putting enough that he has the ability to be successful they've hit that balance right all season now they did have a chance to still win the game they stopped the Colts maybe not as quickly as they wanted to on the next drive get the ball back pull within 20 to 17 um, and then they decide to punt and they need one more stop to get the ball back one more time instead of doing the onside kick there were just a lot of decisions that were very interesting late in this game but then Jonathan Taylor delivers the final blow with his 67 yard touchdown run which was just remarkable Connor they had a stacked box there was Dante Hightower and um Devin McCourty were right there, ready to make the tackle. And those are two players that if you were to count on any two players in the New England system, they'd probably be high on the list. Don't make the tackle. He runs for 67 yards. And to bring this back to one of our earlier shows, the fastest miles per hour of any play this season, <laughs> topping the touchdown that stumped Connor and Gary a few weeks ago by Marquez Valdez scandaling. So just wanted to add that in. <laughs> and it's weird, right? I mean, the Patriots kind of took charge of the AFC on this sort of soul-crushing, rushing performance and with almost no help from their quarterback. And then they give back ground uh, at the hands of a soul-crushing, rushing uh, performance without the help of their quarterback. And uh, it's interesting, you know, uh, now you hear Sean McDermott and uh, Josh Allen not even mentioning New England's name in their post-game huddle and just saying, uh, we know what needs to be done. Uh, mm. that, that is going to be uh, a treat. I'm very excited to see how New England responds, especially, like you said, a week where it's so uncharacteristic the way they're tackling, the way they're defending the run. Um, 
you know, I don't know if there was anything to the fact that Indianapolis seemed to use so much more backfield window dressing than they have all year, that they had previously all year, like a ton of these orbit motions and shooting. Like, did they see something um, that led them to believe that they could have an advantage there? Is that something that Buffalo picks up on down the road? And adding to the uncharacteristic Patriots um, mistakes in the game, there was the penalty on the missed Michael Badgley field goal, which then allowed him to re-kick it from a shorter distance. So even though Gary is not in today's show, Connor, we just wanted to let him know that we're thinking of him. Titans, Steelers. All right. This was another interesting game. I mean, there were some good ones this week, Connor, and a lot of situations to analyze. The Steelers win this one at 19 to 13, and it all comes down to a fourth and seven stop by Joe Hayden that I didn't think was as close as where they eventually spotted the ball. But when they spotted the ball, they made it look like it barely was short of the marker, like maybe they noted on the broadcast, which was funny because Gene Steratore was there as the officiating expert. They noted it might be time for an index card. I thought it looked (laughs) far shorter than that of the first down marker, but regardless, great stop by the Steelers defense. Hey, they keep themselves still relevant. Mike Tomlin knows it. You know, you saw him blowing a kiss to the camera. So Steelers aren't out of it quite yet, and a really big win against the Titans. This is huge, and it's weird because the Titans are a team that, you know, you can't really fault them for this. Like, you know, yes, they're nine and four. Yes, they're they should be in a driver's seat in the AFC, but they're losing. They're missing so many critical players, and it's kind of amazing that they're here in the first place. And so, this was one of those games that was really perfect for Pittsburgh to sort of pick off here and stay relevant. And you know, I would put this in the category of among Mike Tomlin's best coaching jobs. I mean, this has been um, just an incredible year. But I will say too that sort of some of these last few games have sort of gotten the like, okay, so I know that we, we struggle with pop culture references on this show, but Wizard of Oz would be one I think that we can both agree that we've seen, correct? You know, not too sure of that, but I'm familiar loosely with the characters. Really? I know. This is really embarrassing. I mean, well, I don't really have any explanation, but go ahead. I'm sure our listeners will know. Didn't the Tin Man... Wasn't there a whole bunch bunch of things where they kept like kind of popping him with oil in his joints throughout the throughout the movie to sort of allow him to move like more fluidly and like they had that like that little oil can. I don't know. It just reminds me of Ben Roethlisberger. Like over the last few weeks, it seems like he has sort of like oiled the joints a little bit, and he does seem like a quarterback that I would be like, yes, please give me them in the seventh seed, you know, and let me play them in the first round of the playoffs too. Uh, they're kind of going to be a pain in the butt, you know, and that's how they played against the Titans. Yeah. Yeah. The Titans, you make a great point, Connor. They were without Derrick Henry. Obviously, he's been gone for a while. Julio Jones, A.J. Brown. So this is the kind of game where you have to rely on Tannehill to win it. It's not really how the team was built. And because of the injuries this season, they've really had some setbacks. I think they've lost three of the last four now. So they go from being one of the favorites in the AFC to not being entirely sure of uh, you know, are they going to be tough to play against in the playoffs? If, if they get Henry back, that certainly is a boost. But their hot start is, has kind of faded a little bit. And also, the turnovers were just a huge issue. I think there were three turnovers in the span of 10 plays in the second half. 
Yeah, uh, and especially in the third quarter, um, you know, when that, you know, you make a catch there, you're on your way for the first down, ball pops out, and then you hand the ball back to Pittsburgh, and, mm-hmm. and they go on a scoring drive. I mean, and, and for Tennessee, I mean, like, you know, they needed – they absolutely needed that first round by and like when they were headed that way. And I think as of three weeks ago, they had the worst uh, remaining schedule in terms of winning percentage in the league. I was, you know, I was thinking, okay, you get there, you get that first round by, you give Derrick Henry one more chance, one more week to get healthy. You could theoretically emerge in the second round of the playoffs um, with the best offense, non-quarterback offensive player in the conference. But it seems like that is kind of less likely. And without him, the running game is still okay. I mean, that's the way the system is designed, but you're just missing so much. And like you said, you can't, you can't rely on Tannehill as, as, as okay as he's played in these situations. Yeah. It wasn't designed. The team wasn't built to have Tannehill be the one winning games. You know, he can do enough to win games with pieces around him, but this was one of those situations where all those pieces were stripped away. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. 
criminal trials for one of those candidates, young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Cardinals Lions. All right, so someone on the MMQB team picked the Lions to win this game. Connor, it was you. And I'm not going to ask you to explain why you made the pick because <laughs> let's just say sometimes a pick shows up and it's not the team that we actually selected. <laughs> I don't know if this was one of those situations or not. It it may have happened earlier in the year when Albert Breer picked the Jets to beat the Titans. Regardless, Connor Orr picked the Lions to win this week. And this was the upset of the week, maybe one of the upsets of the season. I would say this is getting dangerously close to upset of the season territory. And yes, uh, Jenny, obviously an oracle never reveals his process, uh, like most good magicians, but um, just a great game by Jared Goff. I mean, you know, and it's just surprising in a lot of different ways. I mean, you know, this was a team, the Lions team, that at the beginning of the game was so sort of timid and on their heels that they were rushing on third and five. And at, the, at that point, you know, it just looked like they were just kind of trying to play so that they wouldn't get blown out. And then all all of a sudden on that third and five, they convert it, they run over a guy, and then all of a sudden it looks like, okay, we can come in here and push the Cardinals around. And you're not trying to make any sweeping judgments, you know, based on uh, the recent past, but I would say that there's been some moments here where the Cardinals have looked semi-vulnerable, almost to the point where, you know, you don't want to be that team that gets out so ahead, and then you have all of your... Um, all of your future opponents um, that are looking forward to facing you in the playoffs kind of look around and be like, okay, you know, this is how we stop them. You know, uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Rams from a couple of years ago where all of a sudden late in the season, Vic Fangio shows up with that defense, Bill Belichick builds on it during the Super Bowl, and basically all the things that you do are rendered um, useless. And Kyler Murray struggled against the, Ra the Rams last week. They lose to the Lions now. Um, I don't know. I mean, could this be one of those little uh, stumbling block moments for them? Yeah, and we said this earlier in the season and got crushed for it, Connor, but in 2020, Arizona started 5-2, and two, and then they finished at 500. So it was sort of hard to trust the Cardinals' hot start because of what happened last season. And you saw when Kyler Murray wasn't 100% healthy, but he was still trying to shoulder almost all of the offense and what could happen now this year the defense has been a big difference but yeah it was surprising how the Lions were able to run all over the Cardinals Craig Reynolds who was a recent practice squad player got more than 100 yards rushing so next week when the Cardinals face the Colts Jonathan Taylor who we just talked about I mean what's going to happen then yeah it really is incredible and I will say that um, while I'm not taking full Oracle credit for this. Um, I did do a wacky playoff scenarios post a couple of weeks ago, and one of them was how the Cardinals could miss the playoffs entirely, and it's centered around a big loss to the Detroit Lions. Here we are. Um, I don't... I don't think that they I, – I, I think they still could, like, okay. theoretically miss the playoffs. They dropped to the four seed. Uh, a lot of things would need to happen uh, in order for this to happen. But, yeah, I mean, this is a team that at 10-2, and two, you were looking at them and saying, okay, 
you know, no problem. You're going to get your first round by. Now it's like, okay, we're at the four seed. And what does the rest of the season look like for them? I mean, it's a, it's no guarantee. I mean, you lose to the Lions and then you have the Colts, you have the Cowboys. Um, the Seahawks at the end of the season doesn't necessarily scare me. Russell Wilson probably in full uh, get out of town mode there. But, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is not the best of possible worlds for them right now. Well, Connor, what I hear is it's sounding more and more like you legitimately did pick the Lions. So excellent by you. Great work. Panthers Bills. All right. So as you alluded to earlier, this Bills win sets up next week's game for the AFC East or control of the AFC East between the Bills and Patriots. But this was a great game for the Bills to get back on track What I noticed was they really got the ground game going. Josh Allen looked fine with his sprained foot, but he wasn't used in the run game, unlike last week against the Buccaneers. He only really ran one time, but they were able to have a ground game with Devin Singletary, 86 yards, a touchdown. And I think that's really important for the Bills to be able to get that aspect of their offense going so that everything is not on Josh Allen all of the time. Yeah, just to build that confidence, I think, is massive, right? And, you know, it wasn't like you got it, um, you know, from any, you know, one kind of fluke sort of chunky run. I mean, you know, there were some big physical drives in this game. There were some big physical touchdown runs. And so I just think it was one of those much needed performances. The Panthers just seem to be in a place now to provide everybody with that get back in their groove game, uh, unfortunately for them. And oddly, like, I don't know why I noticed this, but Matt Rule uh, has the has like the best dejected face of any coach I've ever seen in the NFL. Like just the staring blankly uh, from the sidelines look like, whereas Urban looked like it was, he was more uh, like destructively lost. Like Matt Rule looks like, very much like how I looked when we had our MMQB road trip, Jenny, and I thought I locked the key fob in the trunk of our rental car. Which took place in Jacksonville. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of things tying together there. All right. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. I don't know what qualifies somebody to have the best dejected looking face because you never want to be dejected, but I'm going to keep an eye out for this. And this, Connor, also sets up what you referenced earlier, psychological warfare of this week between Mm -hmm. the Bills and Patriots. As you referenced, they're not saying their names. This is going to be a a fun week. Obviously, the emotions ran high in the Bills locker room after the loss to the Patriots just two weeks ago. And now they're playing again. And it's the team that they're hoping to knock off of the perch in the AFC East for a long time. And this is just going to be a good one. Yeah. And, and really like one of the things that really stood out to me about the Bills defensive performance this week, and maybe you can do that uniquely in a game plan where you're playing Cam Newton. Maybe you're not necessarily as afraid of the arm, but their defensive line was so aggressive and coming off the line harder than I've seen them come off the line at any point this year. And again, you probably do that because you're not as, you know, you, you don't want Cam Newton to be able to run around back there. You want to pin him there, but like the, uh, the amount of penetration that they got, the speed at which they were getting it, I'm like, oh, baby. Like, this is this is a team that, you know, could have gone either way after that loss to the Patriots, right? Mm-hmm. You could have just gotten dejected, torn down, and then you had that rough game against the Buccaneers the next week. But instead, it looks like, you know, they're they're kind of taking this opportunity to show them that they're, uh, they're, they're not out of this quite yet. 
Yeah, and the previous meeting between the teams wasn't a normal game. It was incredibly blustery circumstances. Teams were making decisions based on the weather. It was just a highly unusual circumstance. So I'm really looking forward to seeing these two teams play again. And uh, But also the, the week of buildup is going to be just as enticing. Yeah, uh, Sean McDermott said uh, all us, right? And so I think that means like, Nobody say anything stupid. <laughs> you know? and, and it's weird too, right? Because he was the one who said the dumbest thing, right? I mean, if you're a player and you're mm-hmm. getting blamed for that, you're saying, no, no, you, you're the one that said the thing that's going to be all over. What is everybody going to be talking about this week? Let's not give too much credit to Bill Belichick. This was the weather. Bah, bah, bah. And so I'm, I'm really interested to see how he handles this. And again, I'm not saying that I'm not painting Sean McDermott with a dunce cap. I think he's one of the smarter coaches in the NFL. I think he knows what's up with this, and I think he's game for it. So, I, I again, I just love the idea that this could be a legitimate, sustainable rivalry in the AFC yes. East, Jenny. I mean, we covered the last... I don't even want to call it sustainable. Was it a year and a half sustainable, like, as in terms of a rivalry, you know? But Yeah, but that, yeah, that's what I was trying to get out earlier in my words kind of got caught up on me, but the Bills want to be able to really compete with the Patriots and they want to be the team to beat in the division. And this is the year that they need to prove that it can be a sustainable thing. Also back to McDermott's comment quickly, a little reminiscent, maybe not, certainly don't want to liken Sean McDermott to Rex Ryan, but remember when Rex said he wasn't here to kiss Bill Belichick's rings? I mean, you know, just a little in the same vein, certainly not as extreme, but... Not what you want to be saying. Cowboys, Giants. All right, Connor. Well, there was a lot of discussion leading up to this game about the Giants fan appreciation gesture, which was a medium soda. And apparently, it wasn't even a medium soda for every ticket. What? A colleague of mine has a friend who's a Giants season ticket holder, and only the ticket holder gets the soda. So if the ticket holder has two tickets... You only get one medium soda. So this just to me is really represents how the giant season has been going. Just underperforming expectations. (laughs) Came up with that (laughs) analogy on the fly, but I think it actually works. No, it's perfect. Uh, I, yeah. So I don't want to, you know, whoever came up with this promotion is having a bad enough week and they are not like a public person, like, you know, an urban Meyer who we can just make fun of, uh, for a living, but you know, whoever this poor soul was, you know, but it does, you know, I'll make one quick joke and move on. Like it does kind of feel like the promotion that like an angry head coach would come up with, like, you know, like it's almost like they asked Joe judge what he would thought would get more fans to the stands. And he just gruffly was like, I don't know, give them a, like a soda pop or something like that, you know? And then that's, that's what ended up happening. But yeah, um, I, you know, I, I don't drink soda, so, uh, I don't know if they would have offered you or I like a complimentary seltzer or, you know, another kind of carbonated beverage, or if we didn't drink a soda where we just kind of SOL on that. But either way, this was a ugly game. Uh, there was nothing really statistically charming or beautiful about it. And we're in the sort of, uh, I put Jake Fromm in because I want to see what he's got territory, which for any fan is sort of the Sahara desert of interest at this point. Yeah. One interesting thing on the Cowboys side, I 
Dak Prescott said post game that he and the defense have a little competition who can have more takeaways versus touchdowns and that the defense actually won that this week because the Cowboys defense, which has really been leading them the past several weeks, had four takeaways uh, and the Cowboys only scored 21 points. So you can obviously do the math there. Uh, But I will say the Cowboys offense was better you know, the questions of, are they in a slump or, you know, can they figure it out or what's going wrong? And, you know, they, they got in back in their groove a little bit. Now, maybe the giants were a perfect place to do that, but this game wasn't all defense at least. No. And to our earlier point too, I mean, I think you and I are both in agreement here. Like some of those games, like to be able to win when your quarterback only throws one touchdown, like to be able to split carries basically between your two lead backs, you know, uh, Pollard getting over six yards of carry Ezekiel Elliott, you know, you know, you're, you're set. That's a great win because it's not taxing anybody, right? You're not showing a ton on film. You're not, expending a lot of energy and everybody gets out of there uninjured and with a relatively stable workload. Like, I think that's a really solid thing. And, you know, that's not going to be a sexy headline grabbing thing. But if you're Mike McCarthy, you're like, nice, you know, nobody's hurt. And we have a ton of division games coming down the pike here. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So 
Listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Texans, Jaguars. All right. So congratulations to the Jaguars and Texans who graduated from the lightning-ish round. But <laughs> the actual reason is not to talk about the game, which the Texans won 30-16, but to talk about Urban Meyer and the dismissal of Urban Meyer last week. Connor, I know that both you and I considered making our bold prediction before the season that Urban Meyer would be one and done and that we are both probably having regrets over not doing that. But this went more poorly than anyone could have imagined. And you and I both expected it to go poorly. But for him not to even make it through his first season um, really has just made a mess of things. And, you know, I I hope Trevor Lawrence has a better experience with his next head coach because it's really difficult to enter the league and have all of the madness that he's had to endure this season and then have to start over. You basically lose your rookie season, and that's got to be really frustrating from a player who hasn't even lost very many games in his life. Yeah, I mean, to you know, you know you're going to start over, right? You know you're going to run a new offense next year. Um, you had an opportunity with those two first-round picks to maybe grab some sustainable foundational talent and now you have a running back who you know you did play with in college and you know I think that there's a relationship there but it's coming off a serious injury and there's just so many other things that you probably could have used and you needed help with and and you didn't get and so I don't know I you know I struggle with this because I, I mean everything that could have been said about Urban Meyer has been said to this point and you know it's weird like I don't think I think that there is probably an aspect of the NFL where like if if you come in from college, there is a not a hope, but an expectation that you're going to fail and probably a little bit of a side eye from the rest of the league in general. Like, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. And so that comes with an automatic lack of benefit of the doubt. But the way that Meyer went about it from start to finish was just different. Like, you know, I think that with Chip Kelly, for example, there was a meeting of at, at, at meeting the league at halfway, right? You're like, okay, this is how I've always done it, but this is what succeeds in the NFL. I think with Cliff Kingsbury, it was, this is the offense that I run, but I need Jeff Rogers and I need Vance Joseph and I need them to do a lot of the NFL things that stabilize this foundation or Pete Carroll or any of these guys. But with Urban, there just was never that. Like Urban it was just like, I'm going to walk in here and do things the way that I've always done them and it's going to work. And and I've, mm-hmm. I've never really seen it approached directly that way before. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, with Chip Kelly, like I remember I did a story on his sports science coordinator and there were all of these curiosities or questions or even mockery. Oh my gosh, here's this guy coming in. And now every team has a sports science program right. and they all wear the GPS trackers that Chip Kelly had. So he brought things to the NFL. He brought ideas. He worked hard. I think with Meyer, it was an entire coaching style based off of his past success in college. And there didn't seem to be any effort to grow or adapt or to do 
much of anything other than say, well, I was so successful in the past. I wrote a column last week in, in which I cited um, a speech he gave to one of the team's corporate sponsors last summer. And the things that he was saying didn't match at all to the mire that people saw in Jacksonville. You know, he said he gets through open and honest conversations easily. And he said that, you know, if a player's underperforming, don't tell him he's a bad player. He's an NFL player. And the message of the time was well received in the room because, you know, he still has the ability to engage and captivate a room. But that's as three-time college national championship winning head coach Urban Meyer. He just felt like he could glide into the NFL doing things the same way he's, he had always done them. And I think even his attitude upon even after the firing, appears to be the same. He did one interview with NFL.com's Ian Rappaport, and in that interview still seemed to not be doing the critical exam- self-examination that he should be doing. You know, he's saying society has changed and talking about how everything is so fragile right now. Uh, it's just kind of the excuse-making that I think a lot of people saw in Jacksonville as well. I liken this too, and and it's a convenient excuse. I mean, I think that we all are, you know, come across people who kind of use that as a crutch at some point. But like, there are a lot of really, really successful people in the NFL who don't seem to have a problem with the way that society is trending. You know what I mean? Like, at every corner, it's like, okay, like, you know, I remember like when John Gruden was first coming back onto the scene and, you know, maybe it was him or, you know, some of these other coaches complaining about whether it was COVID regulations or you go back to um, when they would put in helmet to helmet targets. Targeting and it would be like, oh, this softness, this like this society, this society, that and like good coaches are like, OK, let's find a way to maximize the potential out of this. Like this is a rule. We can't control this. So let's move around it. And even even if you thought that there was a general softening of society, which I think we all kind of understand what he's trying to allude to there, like there are coaches that have employed experts on how to meet younger generations at their level and understand the way that they think and learn and have one-on-one conversations instead of kicking someone and calling him a dipshit, you know? Like, I don't know. It's just like, you know, I, I think it was a failure on his part. And, you know, we'll probably see him back in college again at some point. But uh, I don't know. I think it's definitely going to change the way that NFL teams hire. I highly doubt we see another college coach coming out of the NFL for at least a couple of years. Yeah, I think you're right, Connor. I mean, there was already a skepticism of people making this jump, and this particular example went so poorly. Now, the Jaguars, they made the move hours after Josh Lambeau publicly revealed the incident in which he said Meyer kicked him and called him a dipshit uh, after missing a couple kicks in the preseason. Meyer has disputed that, but uh, you could say that Jacksonville's handling from the ownership level could have been better. And if this situation, they were apparently made aware of it earlier in the season, why didn't warrant some kind of discipline or, you know, further consequences at that point in time? And then there was an explanation that the decision was made to move on from Meyer after the previous week's game, but they waited to do it later in the week for various reasons, including they wanted a staff holiday luncheon to go on. I mean, that just didn't make any sense. I mean, yeah, let's let's wait to fire the head coach so that we can have a staff holiday luncheon. I mean, uh, so didn't quite understand that explanation, but um, <laughs> you wrote an excellent head 
coach list, potential head coach list for candidates that might be foolproof for Jacksonville. So maybe they'll take a look at that and go in one of those directions. Well, the Jenny and Connor coach consultancy service is open for business. Uh, you know, we are taking calls. Uh, but, you know, maybe you and I just, you know, I mean, I, I got here at Sports Illustrated that the last year we had a really nice Christmas party. Uh, and that was really the first Christmas party I've ever had in my professional life. Before that, you and I were uh, ink-stained wretches at a newspaper. And I remember Employee Appreciation Week uh, was they put uh, little mints in the bathroom when you walked in. That was like the special thing. So maybe this was a really big holiday lunch. And, okay. and we just we just don't understand what it's like to have a, a really nice holiday lunch. Maybe so, Connor. Maybe so. So I'm glad the holiday luncheon went off without a hitch. And now on to hiring the next head coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Falcons 49ers. All right, so this is the start of our lightning-ish round, sort of an abbreviated lightning-ish round because there are less games this week that have been played already. But Niners, hey, they're in the sixth seed position to make the playoffs. Seem like a team, Connor, that could be dangerous if they get in. Yeah, I just uh, one of those teams that I think if they can fix some of their defensive issues and they can dial some of that in, uh, it's just, it's a team that you don't want to play. Right. And I think that we remember watching the 49ers and the Packers, uh, that year that they went to the Super Bowl, and just the effortlessness with which they were gutting that green Bay defense with the running game. And now it's sort of like dualistic where you have all that power, you have all that ability. Um, but then you have Debo Samuel, who's also just like a game breaking running back. Now, Brandon, I, Yuka's has come around in recent weeks, not so much today, but, you know, over the last few weeks after, uh, as you, you termed it, the come to Jesus meeting with Kyle Shanahan. So this is a team that I don't want to play. Like, I, I think that they would just be super frustrating because if they have everything going right, like they could come in and just, you know, command the clock for 40, 42 minutes. Yeah. And you mentioned the defensive side of the ball. They celebrated after a fourth and goal stop against the Falcons. And I think they're looking for moments like that to cling to. Mm-hmm. Um, also notable that Nick Bosa coming off the ACL injury, he got his 15th sack. So he's certainly, that's impressive coming off an ACL injury. Yeah. And he's certainly been a big part of their defense this year. Bengals Broncos. All right, Connor. So at the moment, the Bengals are in first place in the AFC North as a result of the Ravens loss. Although if the Browns win on Monday, they could move into the top spot. So again, very up in the air for the AFC North, probably the most exciting division race at this point in time. And on the Broncos side, a scary moment for Teddy Bridgewater. The team has said that he has movement in all extremities and is at the hospital with a head injury, which is good to hear that he has movement. But definitely when he went down, he hit his head hard against the turf, was taken off the field on a stretcher. And it was the second such scary moment this week. Uh, Donald Parham with the Chargers on Thursday night. And, you know, it's one of those times when you really are acutely reminded of the dangers of the game. And it makes it hard to continue watching after that point. Yeah, I mean, and... You know, I've both written about this, but just you have to consider like how incredibly, you know, the emotional fortitude it takes to be on the field to basically see someone go through something like that and then willingly agree to then go back out there and to participate in in that again. And it's like stunning that like the the level of play just kind of picks right back up and it speaks to like 
maybe how we're conditioned as viewers, how they're conditioned as, you know, as people have played this game for so long, but it's, it's crazy. You know, I, I don't know what other way to put it, but tough loss, um, you know, for the Broncos, I think this probably given the way that the division is rising at this point, uh, probably tough to recover from at this point, thought they had a slight chance of maybe sneaking in the back door of the playoffs. But at this point it's, uh, you know, the Bengals who I picked to win two games this year, three games this year, look like they're, uh, uh, on fire at this point jets dolphins all right and lastly dolphins beat the jets 31 to 24 the jets got off to a pretty good start in this game things were looking kind of good i texted my friend jack who's a jets fan and i said hey auspicious start for the jets and then immediately after the dolphins started (laughs) charging back um i will say Tua threw two interceptions and the second one could have been a backbreaker but after that he rallied back to lead the team to what would be the game-winning score so that was something it was something. I thought that it was sort of, uh, it was really the first time, and Dolphins fans can probably correct me if I'm wrong here, but I did see him escape the pocket, and, you know, while it was not like, you know, this is not uh, a David and Goliath moment, did, like, lower his shoulder and, like, completely bowl over um, a Jets cornerback, and that really seemed to get everybody jacked up. It sort of propelled the end of that comeback, and they had, like, switched Jacoby Brissett in a little bit. It helped them pick up some first downs on that drive as well, but I just thought, you know, okay, it's your sixth straight win. You're back at 500. And here's what I'll say about the Dolphins. I think that they are developing an identity, right? This is a team that is developing an identity. They tried to buy one at the trade deadline, but instead you give the coaches time to coach. You give them time to develop all these young players that they drafted with all this equity. And look what you have. You have one of the best young safeties in the league. Tua Tungavailoa is starting to become sort of a league average quarterback, which you could get better at, I think, still. Um, I, you know, you improve the offensive line, and I think this team is right up there with the Bills and the Patriots at some point. Yeah. Well, Connor, there's still a lot of football to be played this week on account of all the scheduling changes. Uh, there's still a lot of season left to see how COVID-19 continues to impact things in the NFL and, of course, in our lives. But for now, we'll see you all next week. The MMQB NFL podcast is Connor Orr, Gary Gramling, and me, Jenny Vrentas. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcast is Scott Brody, and our senior podcast producer is Dan Bloom. Mark Moravik is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts. And once you do, leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show which is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.